Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. Hi, this is Amory Zanzel here. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Business Success. I am so excited to welcome Faith Coltec to the show today. She is an ally to the queer community and her pronouns are she, her. So Faith is the owner of a business called Perfect Wisdom. She is an LGBTQIA plus poly and kink friendly trauma conscious master coach. Faith, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here. So tell me what that all means. What do you do and who do you serve and um, what type of work do you do? So I am a trauma conscious transformational master coach. I do. I work with everybody, but I do work with the LGBTQIA plus kink and ENM or polyamorous communities specifically. I have invested several years and tens of thousands of dollars in trauma conscious training in specifically in trauma training, because that is my background. So Mm -hmm. I want to make sure when I'm working with people that I'm not re-traumatizing them if they come from trauma. Um, But the work that I do specifically, society tells us what masks we're supposed to wear, who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to show up in the world. And it often takes us a very long time to realize that that's not who we are, that we are not being true to ourselves. And so much of the work I do focuses on helping people take those masks off and stand in their truth and live their authenticity. Who are you? How do you want to show up in the world? Who do you want to be without those expectations, without those things that that other people have told you you're supposed to be? Who are you? That's what Mm -hmm. I do. Well, it sounds like very, we, you and I have done very similar work because I used, you know, as uh, you may or may not know, I used to work with women coming out later in life in the queer community. And so one of the things is what we talk about is conditioning and authenticity. So I often say that, and everybody is conditioned this way. We are conditioned by our family, friends, society, laws, um, church, faith, other faith, uh, synagogue, mosques, any type of faith community, and lots of other things where where we are conditioned to be a certain way. And I think what's really interesting, I think you know this as well, is I know you know this as well, is that, you know, when you hit midlife, 35, uh, 55, and midlife is different for all of us. And it's that time, it's developmentally appropriate to question who it should I live my life the way I've been told to, 
or should I live my life as I was created to live with? And so I, I, I don't, you know, for my population, for my niche, it is people coming out later in life, but it can be really for anybody. Yes. And that's one of the things that I have found to be true for me too. So I was in my forties and when I started really questioning the masks I was wearing and, and saying, I don't want to do these things anymore. I was director of finance and operations in, in corporate and nonprofit entities and, and had been in that career for 20 years and was really good at it. And it was destroying my soul. Mm-hmm. It wasn't who I wanted to be. And I was so in over the course of a year, I ended a marriage. I quit my job. I, you know, and decided to start a business and made all of these changes and started taking off of these masks, started dealing with my trauma. I was diagnosed with PTSD from childhood trauma because I came from significant trauma that I hadn't dealt with. So I started um, to heal my trauma and was making all of these decisions and started really showing up authentically. And some of that was talking about the trauma that Mm -hmm. I had gone through as a child, but I hadn't really talked about people. Even the people who were closest to me had no idea really what that had looked like. And standing in my authenticity and using my voice, and people called it a midlife crisis. It was a midlife crisis. And that's how we label that often, right? When we hit that midlife period that you were talking about, And people start showing up. They start questioning who they are and how they want to show up in this life. That's how we label it. And it's so unfair. I actually call it, yeah, I call it a midlife awakening. I do the same thing. Yeah, it's an awakening. And it is. And this is the thing. Everybody who's listening that's between the ages of 35 and 55, you are supposed to do that. (laughs) Yes, it is part of the process. That is exactly where you're supposed to be. It is just like being in your 20s and thinking that you're supposed to have everything all together and and really you're questioning everything and you have no idea where you are. And that's where you're supposed to be at that place in your life, right? So when you hit that 35 to 55 and you really, you're starting to show up authentically and, and, and questioning why you're doing these things that society or your friends or your family or your religion or or whoever has told you to do, you are supposed to be doing that as well. Mm -hmm. That's where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. People, and I think it's because it's been mislabeled as a, uh, a crisis. And also too, sometimes people don't do the most healthiest things. You know, they might have an affair, you know, sometimes they, um, just like leave a marriage with no, no thought behind it or anything like that. They just make up their mind one day, but it's really interesting because it's not a crisis. It's just a realization that I may have been meant to do something else or be something else or, or love somebody differently than what I was told to love. It is, it is so appropriate. And so I feel like we need to get the word out. It's like, this isn't a crisis. This is what you're supposed to do. And then also too, so um, you look a little younger than me, um, but I'm like at the end of my fifties, I am now in a new stage of actually people don't know this, but you know, your sixties are sometimes the most productive times of your life because you not only bring, you bring a lot of wisdom and knowledge and experience. And so 
it's like when we discount people, when they hit the 60 mark, that's just such a mistake because this is the, I mean, most like, you know, most people come become very prolific. They start producing, they start creating, they, you know, they do amazing things during that time because we're at that point now where we're like, okay, what am I going to leave? What's my legacy? I'm going to leave to the world. And that's, that's really normal too. (laughs) I think we need to start talking about development across all the different times of our lives, all the different seasons of our lives. You know, we're always growing and develop. We should be at least sometimes growing. So, so I want to say to you, hello, my crone friend, because (laughs) I also, so the other aspect of my business is very spiritual. I have this very spiritual aspect of my business. And so I look at maiden mother crone and, mm-hmm. and you're in that crone, crone age. Yeah. That's and postmenopausal, right? Is it, that, well, it's, it's not necessarily postmenopausal, but it's your, but yes, in that, like, you're no longer a mother, you're no longer having children, not necessarily no longer a mother, though that was very poor wording on my part, but no longer having children, no longer able to carry children. Um, so yes, typically menopausal or postmenopausal is what that's affiliated with, but wisdom is so mm-hmm. much a part of that. And so, so you say that, and, and that's where my mind automatically goes. The other thing that I wanted to speak to that you said, um, you talked about people waking up one day and deciding to leave a marriage. And, mm-hmm. and I want to be very clear that usually that's not how it works. That may be what it looks like from the outside, right. but that, that person has had that thought process for a long time. They have worked through it. It may look that way even to their spouse or to their Mm -hmm. friends and family. Mm -hmm. They didn't just wake up that morning and make that decision. They have been working through that. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I probably misspoke myself. So how did you get so interested in, in trauma? Like, is it because of your own work and like the success you found in your own trauma work? And what did you, did you do just the traditional model of, you know, therapy or did you do other models as well? Well, so, so yes, I did do the traditional model of therapy and it was not successful for me. I, so my, my experiential background, my lived experience is, is really significant trauma. I Mm -hmm. have a di I have a diagnosis of PTSD as mm-hmm. the result of the trauma that that I experienced primarily as a child, but but trauma begets trauma, right? So right. because I hadn't healed that trauma because I didn't have appropriate treatment for that trauma that continued through throughout my adult life. There were abusive relationships early in my adult life, and that you know, trauma begets trauma. So when I finally realized when, when I reached that point that I was ready to start taking off those masks and really ready to start examining my trauma, I had to do the work in order Mm -hmm. to do that. The work that I do, the work that I offer my clients is the very same work that I went through. And, and I have to, so I have to say, I went through a point. So I I made all of these big life changes um, and then found myself suicidal. Mm-hmm. And which for the first time in my life, and which was not a place that I ever thought that I would find myself. The work that I do, and it's I use evolved neurolinguistic programming mm-hmm. with my clients. It's not traditional talk therapy. I don't want my clients to re-traumatize themselves. I don't want them to have to talk 
over and over and over again about what they experienced. I want to talk about what you took away from that. What are the limiting beliefs that you took away from that about yourself? The I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. I'm not good enough. I'm bad. I'm whatever it is that you're carrying about yourself that came from that trauma. That's what we need to heal. Mm -hmm. That's what underlies that trauma. And that's what we need to heal in order to really heal that trauma. And this work saved my life, literally Mm -hmm. saved my life. And it's the very same work that I do with my clients. So So, like I'm here and I am a walking, talking example of the power of the work that I do. I just recently kept, uh, I have a new client that's, um, I'm doing business coaching and like helping people with, you know, growing their businesses online and, and things like that. And she, um, is a medical doctor and, uh, she was at the end of a rope and she ended up going to an integrative, integrative medical specialist. And now she's been in, like, she's, she's left, you know, traditional medicine has done all these other things because she was at the end of her rope and that modality helped her to move on. And I'm a big, you know, a, Back in the day, like years ago, I was really like, just like, you know, oh, it's going to be talk therapy. And now I'm like, so like it, that doesn't work for everybody. And, and also too, I agree with you, like EMDR and stuff like that does re-traumatize people and can be helpful too. It, um, absolutely. For yeah, it can, I, yes. it, it's a very, very helpful too. But sometimes I really love what you're talking about is because we don't have to relive the trauma to know what we learned, yes. what limiting beliefs we took from them. Like I know from my own personal trauma from growing up and stuff like that, you know, I have a trauma, like my, one of my traumas, well, it it doesn't, it's not there anymore, but it used to be. And I had this narrative in my head, I've done everything myself because I was required as a child. I did do everything myself as a child, a lot of things, but that was the narrative until one day, a very kind mentor, which this is funny, challenged me and said, have you really done everything by yourself? And I'm like, this is the mentor asking me that. And when she did that, she ended up switching the narrative in my head. Right. And then I started to say, oh, wait a minute. Lots of people have helped me along this way. I haven't done everything myself. And especially since I've been in like the ministry world, coaching world, and I've had tons of mentors and tons of people who have helped me along. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have to change those stories. Right. Right. And, but, and how do you do that? You know, and, and sometimes it's somebody asking that question and sometimes it's using a modality that, that works with your unconscious mind because it's not always a conscious story. Sometimes it's an unconscious story that's running and Mm -hmm. that a lot of the work that I do is working with the unconscious mind to Mm -hmm. change that story that's running. Right. Um, Because you don't, you're not always consciously aware of it. So let's get into the unconscious mind and change it there. 
Well, and a lot of times when you have like, so for example, if you have a toxic relationship with somebody or, or you know, a, a significant other, sometimes it's your unconsciousness that's responding to each other. It's not even who you are as human beings. Right. And sometimes you end up going into your worst self mode because because it's just, it's triggering something deep in your unconscious. Or there's you know. a trauma bond between the two of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me, you know, quickly, how do you define trauma brown bond? So, oh gosh. So it can, I think there are multiple ways that, that you can define it. Sometimes it is, we're going to bond because we have similar traumas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is we are going to bond because we have similar trauma responses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a bond that we form just because we both understand the trauma, because we both understand trauma and the fact mm-hmm. that the other person has mm-hmm. had trauma. But sometimes it's just an attraction to another person yes. who has this deep injury that you also have even if you don't recognize it, even if you haven't reached the point that you're dealing with your trauma, that you're doing the work, and even if they haven't reached that point yet either, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just that attraction to one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Well, a lot of times people are, they hate it, but... A lot of times we're, we're, we're attracted, our, our romantic relationships are, we are often attracted to our primary caregivers and people hate that, especially if, especially if they have had a problematic relationship with, but it is like, it is so, that's so normal. And I've always say to people that that is, that's normal people that that's part of the human psyche, but the important part is, is, is that person willing to do the work with you and separately to be able to deal with the conflict that exists between with your trauma bond. And that is a really huge, I mean, that to me is a real huge value of somebody is willing to do the work when you guys, when people are butting up against each other, because so many times people just throw in the towel and, you know, sometimes there's just some really working with a trauma therapist, someone like yourself can really help work through those things. Do you work with couples too, Faith? I do. Yes, I do work with couples as well. Okay. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge of, of your business? I think the biggest challenge of my business is that people think they want to do the work mm-hmm. and then they find that it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and the unconscious mind doesn't always like change. Mm-hmm. And so people come in, well, actually, and and this is going to branch off. So I think I have two big challenges, but so the, the unconscious mind doesn't always like change. And so people come in and then they develop resistance to doing the work. So they start canceling appointments, uh, not doing homework that I've given them because they're hitting their shit. They're hitting their unconscious, their, that resistance from their unconscious mind, and they don't actually want to do the work. So that's one of the big challenges. The other big challenge that I find is people are willing to invest in their kids. They're willing to invest in their partners. <laughs> they're willing to, but they're not willing to make that investment in themselves. So man, sister, (laughs) so, you know, they, they're, they like, they want, they want a quick fix. They want an inexpensive fix, but 
when they're looking at the investment, even if they believe that this will help them, if it's not quick, if it's not cheap, then they're like, "Ah, I'm not sure that I can do that. Yeah. And, and that's like money resistance. And so sometimes we have, oh, to, yeah. when we're, we're doing sales, have to see whether if it's actually, they can't afford it because there are sometimes people can't. Absolutely. And, and then, or if it's just, I find that people use the money. I like, I almost can tell when somebody uses the, um, the, oh, I have to take a look at it and look at my finances. I know they're not going to buy. I'm not attached to it anymore. In the beginning when I was a new coach and I was worried about paying bills and stuff like that, I was much more attached to all of that, but I'm not. And so I just know that I bless them on their journey. And, you know, hopefully I always say, well, we're here for you if you're ever ready. And some people do come back, you know, some people do come back. They try to do it on their own and they realize they can't. Um, You said something really, something interesting, which I really want to affirm because I, I would, is most of your clients women? The majority of my clients are women. Okay. So this is, this is the belief I have because the majority of my clients are women. In fact, I think I've only worked with women since the beginning. Women will spend money on their child. Like my, your program, my program, or any other amazing programs out there. If it was for their kid, they're going to penny up. (laughs) They will find the money. They will be a big steal and borrow the money. But when it's for ourselves, we really hesitate about that. And I think it's because, what do you think? I think it's because of self-worth. I think also it's not. So for example, I went to girls want a weekend, which is the Brandy Carlisle weekend. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm so envious. Yeah. And I met a ton of women there that were questioning their sexuality. And I've had a bunch of them like reach out and what happened um, have, you know, reached out to me since then. And I've talked to some of them. And the other day, somebody said to me, I really was so helpful, the conversation I had with you, because of course I offer a free conversation for everybody. And I was like, I do the same. Yeah. I would love to have you in the group. You know, I think it, because I do a group coaching model because community changes everything for queer folks. And so I do a group coaching model and um, she was like, well, I can't afford it right now. But she she had messaged me to see if I wanted to go to if I was going to be at the girls want a weekend this year. So I'm like, you know, where's the right. You know, sometimes I'm I'm like, okay, so you really want help with this. But, you know, sometimes we have to prioritize what's important. And sometimes I find that people don't prioritize self-care. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. And, and I think that that's some of it. And I think that, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of it is that we learn to people, please. I think that, that going back to the things that we were taught as we're growing up, we are taught that we are supposed to take care of other people. If we look at our role models, our mothers, our grandmothers, they put everybody else in the family before themselves. And so we tend to do those very same things. We spend money on everybody else in our lives before we spend money on ourselves. And that's before you consider the stigma 
of mental health. That's before you consider the idea that we're not supposed to spend money on mental health, that, you know, this is a very new concept in our society, that it's okay to have a therapist, that it's okay to have a coach, that it's okay to be spending money on these things, that it's okay to be spending money on self-care. Like, yeah, a manicure, a pedicure, a massage, a spa day once in a while, but those are luxuries, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's how those things have been defined. And so we still think about those things in our mind as luxuries. So coaching with you is a luxury. Coaching Mm -hmm. work with me is a luxury, even though it's not. It's a necessity. It is a necessity. We are talking about changing your mindset. We are talking about changing the way you show up in the world. We are talking about getting rid of those people-pleasing behaviors. We are talking about removing that idea that you're not worthy or not deserving. We are talking about keeping you from getting into another abusive relationship mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, we we are talking about allowing you to be authentic and how you show up in the world and not showing up the way other people have been telling you for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years mm-hmm. that you're supposed to show up. This is not a luxury. This is a necessity. It is an absolute necessity. I agree with you. And I think that, and it's funny too, you'll laugh at this. So, you know, my background is in chaplaincy. Um, I was, did a, you know, I did an internship and a residency in a hospital and I was a hospice chaplain for seven years. So when I started doing this online, I called myself a counselor and because I, I can't, take the label therapist because I'm not, but I'm a counselor and um, I call myself a counselor. When I changed the, I had a great resistance around the word coach. And um, I think we all do. Yeah, I think we do. I had that real resistance and I actually had to write a article for, it was for me, but I, it was, I went out for my clients, like, what's the difference between a therapist and a coach and, 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 and all. And the thing is, is that what, when I changed the name of my business from counselor to coach, my business increased. Really? Yeah, because I think people are really afraid to say that they have, they go to a therapist or um, so, and this is hard for me to grasp because I have been in like the therapeutic world for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm very comfortable in it. My kids all have therapists. I mean, it's just part of my life, but I forget that other people don't have, don't do things that way. And so when I changed the word to coaching, the business went up and I think people have less resistance to the word coach. I think because coaching, first of all, a lot of us come from the sports arenas. And so that word is used a lot. I think that it's softer and it feels like people, I think people are generally afraid to mind the past. And a lot of times coaching really focuses on what's going on now and how we can get you to the next step. And so I think that's one of the reasons why people are much more comfortable hiring. They're much more comfortable saying I have a life coach versus I have a therapist. That's interesting. And I would have expected that to have gone the other way around. Really? I really would have. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's our resistance. People people right. like the word coach. They really do. <laughs> um, so what's, what are you most proud of in your business, Faith? I think I am most proud at this point. I think I am most proud of the fact that I have allowed myself to embrace all aspects of my business. So the first iteration of my business was, mm-hmm. was the spiritual focus of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pandemic shut that down. And I went back into nonprofit accounting um, and operations, finance and operations. And then, and that was the job that I quit when I ended the relationship and and quit my job Mm -hmm. and made Mm -hmm. all of the, went to Mexico for four months and, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) made all these huge life changes. And then I came back and I really put my focus on coaching and kind of shoved the spirituality piece to the side, thinking that people wouldn't want to put, to see those two things put together. Mm -hmm. And, and now I have just said, both of these things can exist and you can work with me as a coach and not share my spiritual beliefs. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You don't, we don't have to talk about any of those things and none of those things have to come into my coaching work. But a lot of my clients want those things to come into my coaching work, you know, absolutely. And that's okay too. And you can work with me on this spiritual level. And that was the other thing. When it was just the spiritual business, that was part of what brought me into coaching because that was what I was doing. You know, I'm reading tarot cards for people or I'm doing Reiki sessions or I'm whatever, and I'm life coaching them. Right. Absolutely. A lot of times people that do tarot cards and they're doing life coaching as well. And and I finally said, and, and I'm, I'm the type of person that if I'm going to do anything, I want to make sure I'm doing it well and I'm doing it properly. And and so I finally said, if I'm doing this, I want to make sure I'm trained to do this. I don't want to unintentionally harm someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so then I I got certified to be a coach and then I went for all of the trauma certifications that I have and did all of the trauma training and all of that. And so now I'm at this place that I'm really unapologetically standing in my authenticity and saying, this is who I am. And I offer all of these services and they can be separate or they can be blended. And so I think that's what I'm really most proud of is is that I am putting myself in the same place that I ask my clients to put themselves in and just mm-hmm. being authentic in that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was almost like you had to do a coming out of your spirituality. I, that's what it, it that's sounds exactly like. exactly what I do. You know, it's so funny because you and I seem to be on the very similar path with that because I'm, I'm actually ordained. I'm a reverend. I don't ever talk about it. I'm a deeply spiritual person, but, and I, like, I like, dance around it. And I think one of the reasons is, is I know that the queer community has been horribly hurt by faith and religion. So I just uh, like, and, and I've, and I was like trained as a nun, you know, a a interdisciplinary chaplain. So even though I I have that reverend before my name, which I never use, um, I, you know, I have a health, very healthy respect for 
people of all beliefs, people who choose not to believe in any entity. Yes. I, I like that. I have a deep belief that we are all on our own journey and yes. I will support you however I can on that journey. What I believe in supports me and that's yes. the difference. And so I, I recently have been like coming out of the spirituality closet myself because it is a piece of me that I have sort of, I tucked away. People who know me and who work with me know it's there. And if we need to use it, we use it. You know, like I do a lot of deconstruction with people, um, but I don't ever really talk about that much. And it's really interesting, like how I sort of shoved that to the side when I came out. And I think it's just because it was, first of all, I had my own falling away from faith when I came out which is very normal for people when they come out late um, in the queer community, whether they come out at 15 or 55, it really doesn't matter. Um, yes. People often feel a disconnection to their belief systems. And sometimes it lasts a couple of years. Um, sometimes people reframe those beliefs and end up believing in something different or slightly different. Sometimes people return to their religion of their youth or something like that, but then they sort of tweak it to make it their own. And other people just walk away and never think about that uh, uh, faith again. But I always do believe that we are um, deeply spiritual beings. And so spirituality to me is you can be, you can be religious and spiritual. You can also just be spiritual and not really have a religious belief system that you fall in. For some people, their religion is their spirituality. Yes, you know, yes. and I think spirituality is really, really important for all of us, wh whatever it is. And since you live in Colorado, the mountains are a deeply spiritual place. Oh, there's, I'm, I'm house sitting for a friend this week in the mountains and it is refilling my soul. Like I'm just mm -hmm. so filled with gratitude to be mm -hmm. there and mm -hmm. to, uh, yeah, just to be there and to see the wildlife and to um, be in that energy every morning. But yeah, I want to agree. I think you and I are very aligned in, mm -hmm. in how we look at that and how we see other people's belief systems. You know, I don't expect anybody to share my belief system yeah. and I'm happy to meet anybody else, whether they're a client or a friend or a stranger that I meet on the street. I'm happy to meet them where they are. Personally, I think that when we talk to people, often we find that we're closer than we think we are. Mm -hmm. If we have those conversations, no matter how we identify, you mm -hmm. can identify as religious and I identify as spiritual. And if we start to remove labels and remove names and get down to what we actually believe, we generally find that we're closer than we, than think, we, we think are. Yeah, absolutely. I um, would agree with that. But, but even if that's not the case, it, it, to me, it doesn't matter. Your beliefs are valid, are just as valid as mine are. And they don't have to be the same. We don't have to share them. We don't have to talk about them. It, it, it that to me is just not an important part of, of who you are as a person or how valid you are as a person. And you don't have to believe anything. Right. Yeah. You can I say I, I'm not a spiritual person. I have mm -hmm. no spiritual beliefs and that's valid too. I don't, I, I, I but, my but, guess is there's probably something yeah. there. Yes. You know? Yeah. That's the thing is valid. That, 
people it is absolutely i i agree with you that it's absolutely valid and but i think if people dug down a little bit they realize that they have much more spirituality than they believe so i'm going to give an example being passionately devoted to a, a sports team and in within that sports team you find community you find friendships you have a common goal you have a you have an ultimate concern that you're all moving towards. That is a type of spirituality. Pets. Pets are a huge part of spirituality because we have, we care for them. They produce oxytocin and all the feel good hormones when they stare into our eyes. (laughs) So I I read a really great- Nature and gardening. I really read a great book in um, a seminary called A to Z Spirituality. And that was the first time I was sort of introduced, like the sports thing. It was the first time I was really introduced to a different concept of spirituality besides, you know, besides the more traditional things, you know, sitting in, you know, uh, lotus pose and doing ohm. If, you know, it's, there's right. other ways yeah. to be spiritual. So I have my last question. I said when I, when Faith and I started, before we started today, I, I, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know what it's going to be, but it'll be about our conversation. (laughs) What would be your piece of advice to someone who knows that they've suffered trauma, but they're terrified to open that door? At some point, you're going to have to. You're going to have to. And you can do it on your terms at the time that you choose or you can sit on that ticking time bomb, but you have to understand that at some point that door is opening. You, it's going to open. It is not, let me rephrase what I was getting ready to say. It is highly unlikely that that door is going to stay closed forever. And if it opens when you're not expecting it to open, it can be disastrous. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can be disastrous for your life. It can be disastrous for your relationships. It can it can happen in ways that you're not expecting it to happen. For me, there were things that, that came up in my life as I was making all of those life changes that ended up leading into my PTSD diagnosis because there were reckless and dangerous behaviors happening that I didn't recognize as such, Mm -hmm. that my psychiatrist described as being akin to very extreme forms of gambling, Mm -hmm. even though it it wasn't gambling, but that was how it, that was how it was described. Had I not made conscious decisions at that point to start to take those masks off and to start to heal that trauma, that door was opening itself. That was starting to happen. I just wasn't recognizing it. And so you can do it on your terms or you can understand that it's going to happen on its own 
and it's going to be outside of your control. And the consequences could be really big and really really, bad. I really appreciate what you're saying. And, And what I hear you saying is that, in a couple of sentences, is that it is better to open the door ourselves than have the door pounded down and opening without any kind of control. Now, I just also want to add that we we don't have a control over a lot of things in our lives, right. but we do have the ability to to open the door, and it'll be much. It'll be hard. It'll be it's, hard. It's gonna be hard, but with the right person, with the right therapist, coach, whoever you decide to work with, uh, make sure they're very, very trauma informed. If you're going to work with them, don't just pick, you know, somebody that's in your town, make sure it's somebody that is super trauma informed. Ask for references, Mm -hmm. ask for references, um, see where they've done their training. Yes. And because a really well-trained guide can really help you change your life without the chaos. Yes. And, and some, and, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's, it's nice to be able to not have chaos when we start to explore all these things. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Faith, how do people find you? So I am at www.perfectwisdom.org. I am on Facebook, Faith Koltak, K-O-L-T-A-K is my personal page and it is public. Perfect Wisdom Authentic Alignment is on Facebook. Perfect Wisdom is all over social media. So I'm on Instagram. I'm Faith Koltak on LinkedIn, all over social media. Phone number is 720-295-2197. Sorry, I had to think about that for a moment. Yeah, I'm all over the place. Easy to find. Well, Faith, it was wonderful to talk to you today and hear about what you do. It was a great conversation, and I really appreciate your time and your coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was really lovely to be here. And yeah, a great conversation. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.